Let's hope you didn't spend all your money on Black Friday, people. Stupidly, foolishly, something you didn't need from Best Buy. Because you've asked for it, you've got it. The Let's Run.com long sleeve t-shirt is almost into the warehouse. It's coming in two weeks, but you can purchase it now. Save $10. Use the promo code podcast at shop.letsrun.com. SC members, you'll save even more. $15. And Robert, if people want to save money that time of year, what do I have right here? Here it is, folks. The runner box. It's running biggest bang for your buck for as little as 29 bucks, folks. You get all of this stuff. Look at these goodies. The vapor anti-bottle. I mean, you can put water in there. I already ate these like oatmeal things. I cheated, opened it up beforehand, but unfortunately they sent me a second one, which has got like completely different stuff. These are great gifts. They're great for you as well. A yes bar, salted maple pecan. Like some Ultima. Tons of stuff here. Whip gloss. Ooh, pain relievers. If you just want to get surprised every month or every quarter, treat yourself. The runnerbox.com. 50 bucks hand-picked items for as little as 29 bucks. $10 off with a special Let's Run link. Link in the show notes. Perfect for the holiday season. Perfect value. Perfect gift. Welcome to Track Talk, the world's best track and field podcast. Each week, running is treated as an elite sport, not a charity fun run. What a show we have for you this week, because this is one of the best weekends of running of the year. So much to talk about. On this week's show, we'll get you ready for Sunday's Valencia Marathon. Will the women's world record fall? We'll also talk about the profile of the NC State women's team in the New York Times. Is fun really the key to their success? We'll discuss whether USATF Max Siegel is a brilliant sports executive or simply a crook. We'll debate whether the Kenyan, the Kenyan should be banned from the sport. Maybe it'll get you ready for NXN. How about the BU 5K? All of that and more. This is Let'sRun.com co-founder Robert Johnson welcoming you to the show. Joined as always by my genetic twin brother, Weldon Johnson, who's a little bit nervous because he's got to leave here in 90 minutes so he can get to the airport to watch the u.s soccer game before he heads down to the running event oh there's also a cross-country race in austin which weldon will be attending jonathan galt is here as well he's getting ready to go on a plane to valencia folks thank you for everyone who's signed up for supporters club it helps pay for those trips across the world is the best journalist in the business how is everybody i'm good World Cup's in full swing. We probably won't have much time to talk about that this week because it is a running podcast. But, you know, we did have England nil, United States of America nil on Friday. So no one really has bragging rights here on the podcast. But yeah, I'm super excited. Tons of great races. Hoping I'm going to be able to follow all of them. We'll have boots on the ground in Valencia. We could have a new women's world record on Sunday morning. Really excited to talk some track with you guys this this week. Oh, no, we're not letting him get off that easily, Robert. But first of all, a huge week of running in December. Who knew this was possible? So much in one week. Did you even say USA Marathon Championships this weekend? 
I left that one out of the bag. I mean, huge, huge, huge week. But the World Cup was going on. This game has been hyped for years. I may have to go replay the tape by the time this podcast airs. John has been insulting the United States soccer team for months. Just, it was going to be a cakewalk. He was going to trash the United States. And little old USA took a toe-to-toe, probably had the better of the game, and we had to settle for a draw versus mighty England. I mean, John, if you want to issue an apology now, go ahead. USA showed up. They played well. England did not. Uh, it was a frustrating game to watch as an England supporter. But I'll give credit to the US. They improved from their first game against Wales. Now, as you know, when people listen to this, they'll know whether they beat Iran or choked horribly in their final group game. But yeah, it was a well fought game. I don't know if USA quite did enough to win it, but England certainly didn't deserve to win either. So fair result. A little bit frustrating that England has played the U.S. in three World Cup games and has won zero of them. But if we end up winning the trophy on December 18th, I'm not going to care. I'll look back. I'll say, who cares about that? Last time, last Euros, we tied Scotland nil-nil in the group stage. We made it all the way to the final and lost on penalties. So I haven't lost hope yet. I like to be the contrarian, and I'm the least soccer fan here, but I'm disgusted by all the Americans that are celebrating and acting like we dominated that game. The game was very evenly played. England had three really good chances to score. I think the U.S. had two. I think the tie was the right result, but it's kind of embarrassing the world is celebrating this like a victory. This team has a trouble scoring. I hope that we can put a damn goal in the back of the net against Iran. Now, I was kind of into this game. I went to a friend's house. They were gone for Thanksgiving just so that I could watch the game uninterrupted with no child bothering me. And I got a little bit nervous at halftime and almost passed out. I started seeing stars. It's very weird. I think the pressure got to me, John, but. Uh, pressure? That sounds like a health issue. You might need to see a doctor about that, Robert. Well, I did hop onto the uh, elliptigo type thing. The What do you call it? The, my wife has some sort of fake Stairmaster type thing. I got on that to try to exercise. I haven't exercised in a few weeks. But anyways, let's talk running. Look, this is going to be an amazing show, but can we start with a Rojo rant? I don't know if this is allowed. I don't know if this rant's going to be approved by Weldon because last week on when we recorded the podcast, I went off about an ex-Cornell runner of mine making more than a million dollars a year. I thought they didn't deserve it. Weldon said, that's not really relevant to the podcast. And he deleted the whole thing from the podcast. But this week, hopefully I can rant about somebody making too much money. And that person's name is Max Siegel, the head of USATF. It came out last night that he's making $3.8 million last year. How in the hell is this possible, John? They said a few years ago that it was a one-off deal that he was making multiple millions of dollars, and now it's happened again. And in our show notes, you raised it well. Is he a crook or just the most brilliant sports marketer we've ever seen? Well, he's not the most brilliant sports marketer we've ever seen We've ever seen because track and field is not widely popular in this country. If he was a great sports marketer, you would think it would be way more popular than it is. But yeah, this was some great reporting by... Sarah Lodge Butler of Run as well. She had the details. USATF, they have to release their tax returns every year because they're a nonprofit. So they just released the 2021 version. And I saw this. She had the article saying he made $3.8 million last year. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. 2018, they listed him as getting $4.2 million. But they explained that because they said, well, a large portion of that, I think about $2.5 million, $3 million, maybe about $3 million, 
was deferred bonuses that he had not yet received, but he was going to get in future years, and they just had to put it in the 2018 return for tax purposes. So the next few years, he's been getting a $500,000 bonus, and which I would argue is already excessive, but at least you can say, okay, they kind of already accounted for that. We knew he was going to get these. Then this year, suddenly that bonus, he gets a $500,000 bonus, but then he also gets $2.5 million in other reportable compensation. And Mike Conley, the board chair, who's one of the people who's responsible for signing off on Max's salary, he says, oh, well, this compensation was already reported in 2018. Nothing has changed. Well, it certainly seems that way. I don't remember anyone saying he was ever going to be getting a $2.5 million bonus in one year. $3.8 million, it's just such a colossal sum for an organization that only brought in $33 million in revenue. 11% of the revenue for USATF in 2021 is going directly to Max Siegel in the form of salary. At a nonprofit, that's just, it's disgusting, frankly. Well, then do you agree? Or are you going to defend it like the free, as the free market like you did to me last week when I railed about an ex-Cornell runner? Actually, I think I left that part on the podcast. I just said, why didn't you go there? For-profit companies are very different thing than a nonprofit. With a for-profit company, you have the profit motive, like to put a break on things. This is highly inappropriate, essentially. You guys are calling him a crook. No, this appears to be legal unless there's some self-dealing going on. But this needs to be really looked into. And we can criticize Max Siegel all we want. But this falls on the USATF board of directors. They are in charge of the organization. They set his salary. They set his things. They owe everyone an explanation, essentially, of what's going on. This is just, I'm here on charitywatch.org, nonprofit compensation packages of $1 million or more. There's a lot of, like, hospitals and stuff. You know, Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. These people with extremely advanced degrees. And th- but there's very few just sort of like regular nonprofits. The head of the U.S. Olympic Committee, Sarah Hirschland, made $1,007,000 in 2021. And Max is going to make three and a half times her. If he was doing a really good job and just had taken USATF to another pl- platform, I could see him being compensated well. But he is compensated very well. This is just so out of the norm. It is wrong. The USOC should demand answers. The public should demand answers. And the board, we need answers from the board because the board, Max came up from the board and apparently now he's got a bunch of cronies who approve whatever he did or maybe this goes back four years, but I I just don't get it. The question I have is maybe nothing different. Maybe it's just every year it's a $2 million commission payment off that Nike deal. But I, I think you guys are off on this. This guy is an absolute genius. Who would, let's think about his two, big accomplishments. Who would have thought of putting a world in Eugene, the one place that most supports track and field, and who would have thought getting Nike, the company that cares most about running, to be your sponsor? Nobody else could have thought of that. I'm being sarcastic if the tone is lost here. John, you've got a good stat here. If Roger Goodell made the same amount of money relative to the income, he would be paid $1.98 billion a year. So good, 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 good for looking that up. But it's crazy. What if the runners just refuse to wear Nike? Like, what if they just start say, we're not going to wear the Team USA kit? They get to Worlds and say, we're not wearing it. We're wearing this T-shirt. 
would they be dis- would they would they stop the meet and not let them run? Yeah, like, they would. The official the World Athletics officials wouldn't let them run. But if everyone I mean I don't you're talking about like threatening to decertify USATF as the national governing body. I think what needs to do is heads need to roll on the board and Max Siegel look, if Max Siegel wants to say I'll stay on for one million dollars a year, fine. That's still that's a perf that's a large salary. But like three point eight million, it just doesn't make any sense. And th- this is the statement. This is frustrating from Mike Conley. He's the board, the chair of the board of directors, and he said the CEO is evaluated yearly and is judged an overall organizational performance. The board is extremely pleased with Max's performance. The organization's success on and off the field of play has been historic under his leadership. We're poised to continue that trajectory. The USATF board is comfortable with Max's salary level. And as a part of this year's evaluation, we will do a deep dive with an outside firm to analyze his salary based on his level of expertise and how it compares to organizations with similar or smaller operating budgets. So that's great. They're going to hire, they're going to spend extra money figuring out exactly how much Max Siegel is overpaid. Uh, br- brilliant idea there. Whereas if you look at the Runner's World article, it said it has that stat you gave about Sarah Hirschlin, Weldon. This stuff, all of these governing bodies, they're nonprofits. They have to publicly report their salaries. You don't need to hire some outside firm to realize the salary is way out of whack. And one thing we have not even mentioned. Renee Washington, the CEO OO of USATF, made $1.5 million last year. So we have two executives making more, 50% more at the minimum, and three times more than the head of the U.S. Olympic Committee, which is a much bigger organization, much bigger budget. I mean, this is wrong. And I, I, I would love to see, uh, you know, an, uh, I'm, not, I'm not saying something criminal is going on, but there needs to be an investigation of this. I mean, pour over the books, look at everything, because why would the board, the board is either just so poorly done that we need to look into them, or maybe there's some self-dealing going on. I mean, you just, you just want to question everything because well, then a rational course, nonprofit board would not be doing this. Of course there's self-dealing going on. The Washington Post had it. He was employing his own company, his own marketing companies, et cetera. I don't know if I said this on the podcast or not, but Jonathan Gallant and I talked to, to a lawyer, and they said the FBI was investigating. A grand jury, I think, was convened in, in D.C., but eventually the, these FBI guys were said they were told from the higher ups, no, we don't want anything that makes L.A. 2028 look bad. So I'm not saying that maybe they couldn't find anything. But look, this guy's made so much money, he should resign. How much does Rich Kanoth Atlanta Track Club make? He actually does a good job. He actually does innovative things. He's, he's founded a, a new pro team. He's always harping on diversity. He's got old runners coming past Olympic legends that are being supported. He's got new runners that can't get contracts elsewhere. I bet he makes one-tenth of what Max Eagle makes. And here's the other thing that's frustrating about this is USATF, it's not a particularly well-run organization. There are some good people out there who care about the sport. There are good people on the board, I'm sure, who care about the sport. Maybe they're overruled in this case. But their website barely functions. We still don't have an official announcement about where the USATF indoor championships are going to be or how any how to qualify. We don't have qualifying standards, anything about that. It's almost December. That meet's going to be held in February. And there's no public information about that. That's just totally incompetent. We don't know where 2020's 
four Olympic trials are going to be. We don't know where the 2023 U.S. Outdoor Championships are going to be. There's just so, like, this... I can't understand who someone who is in charge of that. Those are some of the things that he is responsible for is making $3.8 million. And we don't have any information about the U.S. Indoor Championships, which are going to happen two months from now. It's outrageous. Well, Robert, I didn't believe it when you said it, but I went and looked up what... I haven't delved into the details here, but this is just an overview page from ProPublica. Rich Kana, the executive director of the Atlanta Track Club. Now, granted, they only have $8 million in total revenue. This is from 2020, which was a COVID year, so who knows what happened that year. Made $183,000. Yeah, and that's in line with what you would expect from an organization that size, right? I, I just, I right. think one thing that's worth noting here, Curtis Beach had the money quote at the end of the story, and he is on the USATF Athlete Advisory Committee, former decathlete. This is what he said to Runners World. At the end of the day, I think the legacy of Max Siegel won't be one that shows growth of the sport or building a thriving environment for athletes. It'll be a legacy of leveraging athlete labor and a corrupt system to build a massive personal fortune. The real winners of this situation are Max, his close associates, and Nike. That seems to be from some of the responses I've seen on Twitter, certainly in the last 24 hours. He's not alone in thinking that. I think we start a petition. I don't know if Kana is interested in the job. He'll take it for $500,000. And then every year we have a three times a year, once every four months, we have a lottery for a million dollars and we just raffle it off just to a pro runner. You know, like the lottery's popular. He can just give it away. Like, okay, I've done some more digging here. So in 2019, Rich Kana, it says his compensation was $275,000. So, that means he took a big pay cut, you know, like a third of his salary in 2020. I assume because of COVID. And if you look at the New York Roadrunners, they have more revenue actually than USA Track and Field. They bring in $100 million in revenue. Michael Caparizo, the guy who resigned, he was paid 569000 in 2020. So Max is making six times that two times that in a good year. And he's living in Indiana. I don't know if you want to factor in cost of living and stuff, but like, just this is just so out of line. Um, I want to know what the board is doing. Lauren Fleshman, who used to be on the board, I'm surprised that she doesn't know more about this because she was approving some of Max Siegel's paycheck. Do we should have her on the podcast? She said on Twitter, athletes at all stakeholders for our sport deserve an explanation. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I I guess so. I'm shocked she doesn't know more because she was on the board and well, when he was getting a million dollars a year, right? I, like, yeah, if you if you go back to 2018, sorry, when they reported the 2018 uh, tax return, which was not released on that website until April 2020 for reasons that still remain unexplained, uh, why there was such a long delay. But Lauren Fleshman was asked by Runners World about why he made so much money. And she said, in my opinion, no executive or nonprofit should make that much money, no matter how good they are at their job. It's a clear representation of the way very few get super rich off the backs of free or undervalued labor across the entire Olympic movement. She said, I've said this to Max and the board, we have to agree to disagree. So she, her, she is claiming at least that she was in favor of having a lower salary and she was overruled by other members of the board. So, yes, I'd like to hear her exact explanation, but 
if you have, you know, if you have three people who think he's grossly overpaid, they're going to be overruled by the rest of the board. Yeah, the board ultimately, like, they're getting a free pass, even with the New York Roadrunner scandal, right? Like, the board ultimately is in charge of the executives. They should have a system set up in place where people could have, you know, reported these complaints that did it up in the ousting of Michael Caparizo. I think they failed there. The board is, I think, failing here because they're the ones ultimately agreeing to this. And it's bad governance. It's bad governance for a nonprofit like this where the executive is making 10% essentially of what's coming in. All right. From one troubling topic to another, the World Athletics Council is meeting this week in Rome. And one of the topics of discussion sounds like it's going to be whether Kenya, the federation, should be banned similar to where Russia has been since 2015 because of the number of doping cases this year. There have been, as we've covered on previous episodes, an alarming amount, 23 Kenyans banned in 2022 alone, including the Boston and Chicago champ Lawrence Chirono and the 2021 Boston champ Diana Kipyuke. And there has been reports in Reuters, there's been rumblings in other outlets in Kenya that World Athletics is considering banning the Federation as a whole, which means all of their athletes will be banned from international competition. We're waiting to hear from World Athletics Council about whether they're going to take this step, but do you guys think this is no. appropriate or too too big a reaction? Robert, tell me. No. Look, when I was doing the website last week, there was a couple articles I saw on this, and I was like, this must just be bad Kenyan reporting. Sometimes the reporters don't have stuff right. I'm like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. They're going to ban Kenya. And then you last night, we're coming up with the show notes. You see, yeah, we should talk about this. It's like, why, why should Kenya be banned? This isn't state supported doping. They're actually doing their job. They're catching people who are cheating. When Ajay Wilson and Jurian Lawson test positive here, they get off when their stars get t- test positive, they're popped. So, this is absurd to me. Why would we ban the whole country when they're actually clamping down on the doping? Big N-O for me. First of all, Robert, you don't need to ruin a good argument with like the Ajay Wilson and Jerry and Lawson. Those were contamination cases. And if you want to argue they're not, go ahead right now. Fair enough. I didn't need to go for the hyperbole. I'm just trying to... Thank you. Pill little Stephen A. Uh, but I agree the- 100%. They should not be banned. If the Federation's trying to ban, would, would athletes be able to compete as neutrals? I assume there would be a way for them to do that because if they're banning Kenya, well, that means, oh, Elliot Kipchoge, he doesn't get to run any of these races anymore. Faith Kipyugon, she doesn't get to run the world championships. No Emmanuel Correa. Like, all of these athletes will be banned unless they're going to create the authorized neutral athlete program like they had with Russia. Right. And uh, a, I don't know. A common denominator in the justice system in society should be you're not penalized for like the sins of your fathers or your brothers. Eli Kipchoge should not be penalized because other people in Kenya are doping. So if you're going to penalize a federation, it should be because they're state-sponsored corruption, doping, something. And that should be the last step you take. In Russia, that, that was going on. And we still had an outlet for athletes to compete. So if they somehow want to determine that the Kenyan Federation is totally at fault here, it's so egregious that they need to be banned and the 
executives, you know, the big wigs can't go to the worlds and that sort of stuff. That should be at the last resort. And I don't want the individual athletes penalized, but I don't think we're at that step. They're catching a lot of athletes, which should, which is actually a positive thing. So I'm really against, against it. And also like, I think they would have a way for individual athletes to compete, but. Oh, they have to. Because you can't you can't make this a sterner punishment than what they gave to Russia in 2015, and Russians were still allowed to compete as neutrals. Granted, it took a little while for that to start happening, but it's interesting because when I heard about this first heard about this rumor about a week ago, I was like, "That's strange." Because I talked to Brett Clothier, he's the head of the AIU, and I asked him this question about a month ago, saying. Would World Athletics consider a blanket ban? And he said, well, it's up to them to decide. The AIU, they're independent from World Athletics. This is a World Athletics Council decision, not the, the AIU. But he made the same points you guys made, that this is not state-sponsored. St and in fact, he said that the anti-doping agency of Kenya and Athletics Kenya, he thinks they've actually been doing a pretty good job for the resources they have in catching people, in trying to do things the right way. And he made the argument, essentially they need more funding to be able to get their house in order. And he told, this is what he told me. He said, that's the next step here. And what the rising cases is clearly showing is that if Kenya as a country is serious about tackling doping, that those organizations need to be better funded. That's going to be the test as to what happens next. The ball is in the court of Kenya. So he said, if they don't end up getting more funding, maybe as a last resort, the World Athletics Council would ban them. It does sound like the Kenyan government has committed to giving some more funding to the anti-doping agency of Kenya. So that's why I think it would come as a surprise, especially with what Brett told me last month, that they would be banned. But I'm not saying, I don't know, maybe World Athletics, maybe the World Council is pissed about major marathon winners and another Kenyan being popped every two weeks. Maybe they say they've had enough. But I agree with you guys. I think it will be an overreaction at this point, especially because it's not state-sponsored that we know of. They shouldn't be banned. They should be praised for catching the cheats. Just because it's bad publicity for the sport, they should be praised. For, for, why would They probably had the same amount of doping five years ago, just nobody was being caught, unless you want to claim COVID caused them to be more desperate for money. And I've always said this. I mean, maybe it's different. It's more, more authoritarian in Ethiopia. How do we know the problem isn't as bad in Ethiopia, <laughs> but it just isn't being caught there or it's being covered up? Now, it's easier to get drugs, apparently, in Kenya, et cetera. But enough of that. Let's talk about something, you know, unless you're into administrative malfeasance, we've spent 30 minutes on, that I found more interesting. A lot of people are into NC State. We talked about Caitlin Tui and, and NIL last week, and then she got an NIL as we were recording, right after we recorded, so we had to re emergency record. But there also was, they got some publicity. Matthew Futterman, friend of the show, been on the show, New York Times reporter, wrote an article on the NC State women's victory at NCAs. And this was actually Talia Minsberg of the New York Times, Robert. Wow. I just assumed that it was Matthew Futterman. I was like, thank God Matthew is a fan, but no. Okay. Talia Minsberg wrote the article. And it says, the secret to a national cross-country title, question mark, fun. Cross country can be a brutally hard sport, especially for runners who are phenoms in high school. For North Carolina, for North Carolina State, the secret is simple. Um, if you haven't read the article, you know I definitely recommend that you read it. There was a lot of interesting things in it, but 
I don't agree with this premise, really. Like, there's no talk about recruiting, is there, in this article, John? Like, to me, the secret to winning for every sport in all of college, hell, even in the pros, is recruiting or drafting. You have to assemble the talent. And I thought that that sort of downplayed this a little bit. I mean, let's go through the NC State roster here, John. I mean, what am I missing? Well, yeah, they clearly have top talent, but I would argue that assembling top talent is not a secret. Everyone knows that's how you, that's a key component of a championship team. I think they're trying to make, Talia's article is trying to make the point that this is an underrated component to a championship team is having fun. And we've seen other programs assemble top high school recruits and they've flamed out. They've felt there's too much pressure. We've had complaints of eating disorders or, you know, pressure to maintain certain weights emerge from other major programs. NC State, I thought this was an interesting component. They had something called a bod pod that their football team used and it measured body composition. The women's distance program, they started using it. And then Lori Hennis, the head coach, she said, we realized really quickly we weren't using the data and it wasn't worth the data if someone had the tendency to have disordered eating or compare themselves to other people. So that to me suggests that they're running a pretty healthy program in terms of you know weight and how all these issues are handled. The team really se- genuinely seems to like each other. It's easier when it's winning, but it's also tough. They come in with really high expectations, and when you don't have success immediately, it can be hard for the athletes to stay mentally in the game. They can get upset or depressed. So that, to me, keeping them happy and healthy is a big part of running a successful program with all that talent. Yeah, fair enough. I, I, I guess I just wish they mentioned a little bit that they're super talented to begin with because let's look Caitlin Tui three times high school national champion Kelsey Camille who was what second or third of nationals she was finished in the top five in the high school cross-country championships all four years of high school and then the now the third runner who I shared a car with her parents Samantha Bush she never won a high school state title I mean I was looking this up I mean she was a very good runner she was like you know second third fourth all the time in, in Ohio but her senior year, she was fourth in the state meet in cross country. The one that beat her, Taylor Ewert, beat her by like 30 seconds. She's at Arkansas this year, 178th. So, you know, Samantha has improved a lot. And then, did we talk about this enough when I was looking this up? The key to them winning was Morena. What's her first name, John? Nevada. This was a girl that was a phenom in high school. Second and third of Foot Locker. 2015 indoor mile champion. But... She'd really done close to nothing in college. Even this year, she was 47th at Notre Dame, 36th at Wisconsin, 19th at AC at the conference meet, and she finishes 29th at Nationals. That to me, so yes, I wish the article talked about talent, but that to me is the, a testament to Moreno, the coach, and the culture right there. She's a six-year senior. She didn't have to come back. A lot of women would have quit. A lot of women might have even quit this year. She didn't get to run nationals the last two years. She had never finished higher than in the top. She was 172nd in 2018, 131st in 2019. The fact that she's having fun, enjoying the team, it's a perfect culture. 
The girls love each other. They're not being forced to get on a bod pod. I mean, amazing coaching to get rid of that bod pod. The football team can use it. No thanks for us. We don't need it. If you get fit, you're going to lose the weight naturally. Don't worry about it. And then somehow she finishes higher at NCAs than she did in any big regular season meet of the year. Amazing coaching there. Amazing job. So I was thinking maybe the culture and the fun that could be in this new age, helping them get these recruits. And then also it's certainly helping them stay on the team and stick with it because Morena was the key to the win this year. Well, stop the presses here. I think we just had Robert praise a collegiate coach on the podcast and that never happens. And John, I've been silent and I had to get up, let the dog out, talk to someone at the door, come back. And I swear Robert reversed course. He was saying, culture, it's too much. It's recruiting. And then he's phrasing the culture at the end. I think the takeaway is these things aren't mutually exclusive. You want to have a good culture. To say it's old, it's all the culture. That's why they win. That's way too simplistic. But as you said, Robert, from Samantha Bush, you know, you talk to the parents and like, look, these kids are really having a good time. I mean, I had a really good time in college and we were terrible. So, but it, it, it's great to see them enjoy it. It really looks like they're having, you know, Caitlin Tui's progression has been amazing. Like you said, like Nevada Moreno. I didn't realize like to, to come back for the sixth year. When she, it's not like she was some star just to contribute. And she's like this sort of pivotal factor. That's just a great story. Yeah. And you even look at Tui Weldon, her freshman year in college she doesn't qualify for NCAA indoors. She finishes 24th at NCAAs and cross, which is fine. But she, then she doesn't make it to NCAAs outdoors either. And she come in, she had surgery the summer before she enrolls at NC State. You know, it, it wasn't a disastrous freshman year, but you, you know, you after all the success she had in high school, coming in injured and then not having exactly the freshman year you want, might be easy for her to get down, but instead she comes back, she has a phenomenal softball year, and now she's the best runner in the country in her third year. So for her to stay on track, obviously that's credit to her, but it's credit to the culture they have there that's supporting her. It's keeping her in a good space. So yeah. And it's interesting. I talked to Tyler Day and Matt Baxter, who are two NAU alums, part of their title teams in the 2010s. I said, why is NAU consistently so good? And Tyler said, you know, it's kind of, cliche but he said he credited the power of friendship they're just a group that really likes training together spending time together they run for each other and again nau is getting top tier recruits they're training at altitude they you know there aren't certain advantages they have there but from what it's i've seen from them they also have a good culture where everyone gets along really well it's not a program where it's just like all that matters is the result you know they get there and the results have been great but they seem to just get along pretty much no matter what. I think the reason why I wanted to bring this up though, John is like, I imagine, I mean, yes, you want to say, think that you're improving as a coach, but I bet Lori Hennis has been as good as a coach or very similar throughout her career. She was never getting the accolades because she was never getting these top, top recruits. And then, but once you get the recruits, the talent, and then it feeds on itself and then winning is fun. So then it builds on itself in the court. Like it's like a football player. Where do you want to go? Well, if I go to Alabama, I know I'm going to be, you know, on, on the knocking on the door of the championship game every year. If I go to NAU as a man, I know I'm going to be knocking on the NCAA title door. NC State and women, same thing. So this actually supports my theory that there's a lot of good coaches. They just don't have 
necessarily the horses they need. So we have a very busy running calendar this weekend. Lots of things going on. Oh my God, Moises Caicedo at Brighton and Hove Albion just equalized for Ecuador. Let's go, baby. Seagulls. All right. Sorry for the interruption, but that's a huge goal for him. Hopefully that doesn't mean that someone's going to come in and steal him in the January transfer window, but let's go, Moises. Anyway, plenty of exciting action this weekend. We've got the Valencia Marathon. We've got the BU5K. We have the Cross Champs on December 1st. In So that's Thursday. Weldon will be there, boots on the ground. We've got an XN. What are you guys most excited for? What If I could only limit you to one event that you could watch this weekend, what would it be? No question for me. Valencia Marathon in the debut of what it's in G'day. I think there's a good chance she ends this thing as the 5K, 10K, half marathon, and marathon world record holder. But before we go there, am I off base? That's the, the big thing this weekend. That's the big thing for me. And I agree with you, Weldon, because I was looking, we got an email for the podcast a few months ago from Patrick Walsh saying, if she sets the world record in Valencia, is she the goat of women's distance running? I'm like, wait a minute. she She's won at that point. Okay. She had won a world title in the 10,000 this summer, but I'm th- starting to think like the goat of women's distance running. But then I'm like, if you have PRs of 1406, 2901, 62, and she's in the 212s or something, which isn't totally out of line. She's a minute faster than anyone else in the marathon. You can start building a case that she is the goat. So that to me is fascinating because I could see anything from 211 high to 218. I think it would be hard to imagine she runs any slower than 218 in this race. But I don't know what her ceiling is. Like every time she's moved up in distance, she's gotten better at that event. She's run 1406 for the 5K, but then 2901 for the 10K. But then in her debut half marathon, she runs 62.52, which I think is a better mark than either of those. And then going up to the marathon, what if she's better at the marathon than all those other events? So yes, I'm fascinated to see what happens for Gide in Valencia. Well, you guys have passed the test because we're spending thousands to send John there. Look, no one else, I think domestically, people are going to be into this cross race in Austin. The BU 5K, I think a lot of people would say just because they know the U.S. names a little bit better. But from a global perspective, it's definitely the Valencia half. I want to put pressure on the World Marathon majors. I think I may be just focusing on the Platinum majors, which is all the Abbott majors plus Valencia plus, I think, some Korean marathon and maybe Amsterdam or Rotterdam or something like that because these are great races. But did we ever figure out, have we done the research yet? Who was the last human being to hold the 5,000, 10,000 and marathon world records at the same time? I mean, I have done the research, Robert. Ingrid Christensen of Norway in the late 80s, early 90s did hold the 5K, 10K and marathon world records. I think she's the only man or woman in history to do that. I'll do a little bit more research on that to confirm. But she did have all three at the same time. So that's what Gide would be going after. Gide, of course, also has the half marathon world record. Okay, but can we stop this goat talk? Does anyone remember Stefan Hassan at the last Olympics? I do. She won the 5K and the 10K. She beat Gide. And oh, and she got a medal in the 1500, she if I remember got correctly. got bronze in the 1500. I mean, that is 
that to me is the single most impressive, probably the single most impressive accomplishment in the history of women's distance running. I don't think that's unfair to say. And then you add in, she also beat Gide in the 10K in 2019 when she won the 1500 and 10K. No one had done that before. Yeah, I, I'm not saying if Gide breaks the world record this weekend, she's the GOAT. I'm just saying she's building a case and she would be displaying range you know, no one has, we haven't seen in decades and she's running a lot faster than Christensen too. Yeah, in today's era, with as competitive as it is, it's amazing. But we can't call her the GOAT until she's dominant. She's been far from dominant in the track. Let's be honest about that. Well, I think if one thing, Hassan showed that people's range can extend further than we thought. So if she gets this record, I think it would show she's like the fastest person of this era. And you can go from 5K to the marathon. I don't know if that's a, that's a caveat of women's running or maybe women's running isn't quite as deep as men's running right now. But the fact we're even talking about this, I mean, it just shows like, 60, what is it? 62, 52 is so fast. But John, her best mark is one you didn't even mention. Oh, the 15K, her, you think? Yeah, 44, 20, 15K. Isn't that better? I'm not sure. I don't, I think 62, 52, it's pretty, uh, you'd have to look maybe, at the scoring tables. Maybe her sweet spot. Maybe she's more of a half marathoner. She could be. And I think the, the knock on her, you would say, well, she has one gold medal at the senior level at a global championship. She won the 10K in Eugene this year, but she's never won the five. She's never won the 10. You would need to start winning some championship races, I think, to build up that resume. Like, who would you say is the women's GOAT right now? Is it Tarinesh Dababa? You think it's Hassan? Like, who do you think's the GOAT of women's distance running? Well, my main criticism was saying you need to do it at the Olympics. That's sort of... Maybe an unfair thing. No, I, I would call Paula Radcliffe the goat of the marathon. She never won an Olympics, but I'm talking all of women's distance, right? Yeah, now. yeah. Uh, so, but Dababa never did it at the Olympics, and you know, Wait, what do you mid- mean she never did it at the Olympics? She won double gold at the Olympics. Oh, I thought you were talking about Gonzaga Dababa. No, Tiranesh Dababa. Excuse, excuse me. <laughs> yeah, mate. Either her or Saad, probably right. Yeah, I don't know. It's we got to wait shoes. until this current generation settles because we've got some all-time talent. I mean, I, I think you could argue that Gade is the most talented runner in history and that when her career is done, she's going to be the GOAT. But I don't know. mostly I'm just excited to see what she runs. We can get into predictions, I guess, a little later in the week well, once what, we've talked to everyone. But the what, weather in Valencia, or I guess, Robert, go ahead. Say what you're going to say. Well, what do we want to do for the bonus Friday 15 podcast? Do we want to do it on Friday before Valencia? Is Valencia Sunday morning? Valencia is Sunday morning. So we could do it Saturday after the BU race or some of these other events take place on Saturday, or we could do it Friday previewing everything. And should we do two? Should we do one pre-Valencia and one post-Valencia? A lot of people are not going to be up, yours included, because my parents are in town. I can't get up at 3 a.m. to watch this race. But maybe we make it up to the Supporters Club members. Last week, folks, we had a lot of people sign up. By the way, let's run.com slash subscribe. If you want the bonus podcast, enter the t- code GOAT50, 50% off for your first year. We had a lot of people sign up. And last week was the first week since we started doing the weekly podcast that we did not do a bonus podcast for the Supporters Club members. 
and I called you guys up. I'm like, what are we doing? They're like, you're like, it's called a holiday. I'm like, I never took a holiday for the last two or three years. So maybe I make it up for you and do two this weekend. If my parents weren't here, I would definitely do two, like one on Friday and one on Sunday. But check your feed. Now, Robert, I'm looking at my phone here. It looks like we're going to get close to perfect weather on Sunday for the Valencia Marathon. Temps, the race starts about 8.15, I think. Temps are going to be in the mid-40s at that point. I don't know about the wind. Well, actually, hold on. Let me just check the wind. About five miles an hour. It's a fast course. She's going to have some pacemakers that she trains with. They're bringing in. I talked to her agent in Valentine Trout. I said, are you going after the world record? He didn't say they're going after the world record. Now, he also didn't say that specifically when Kipchoge was running Berlin earlier this year, even when, even when everyone kind of knew it was going to be a world record attempt. But... He also said he's she's not just going to Valencia to run for the win or test things out in her first marathon. She wants to run fast. So to me, given what she's accomplished other distances, given that we know this is a fast course, given the conditions are looking right now near perfect for marathoning, I expect to see an attempt on the world record and I wouldn't be surprised if she breaks it. Check the tape. But I said... Several months ago on this very podcast, look, if we find out, if they say before the race she's going for the world record, I expect her to get it, and I expect it to fall. Look at these weathers. First of all, 40s. Folks, humidity, close to 100%. Now, John Kellogg always says moist air is less dense than non-moist air, so that'll be good. Dew point, God, 47, 48 degrees. Low wind. This will stick it to the World Marathon Majors. Go, girl, go. I want to see a 2-12. That would be amazing. I mean, most men that run 62-52, what do they run for the marathon? Have you gotten that research yet, John? John? No, that was going to be part of my article for uh, this week. So, But, I mean, just thinking logically, I guess, Weldon, did you ever run any fast half marathons in your career? Like, I would think a guy who could run 62 minutes for the half, you're probably looking at 213 or 214, right? 62.52, which is a personal best. Maybe I'm way off base there, but that that seems to, I think that kind of translates. That'd be a negative, John, on any fast half marathons or marathons. Well, it was a 10K specialist, John. Specialist. Okay. Speaking of, do we realize how fast this is, though? Last week, there was the Japanese National Corporate Women's Ekiden, also known as the Queen's Ekiden. So this is their big pro Ekiden. It's 42.2 kilometers. The last time I checked is the marathon distance. It's the teams of six. So your average leg is like, what, 7K? Guess how many teams ran faster than the women's world record in, in, in distance craze Japan? One. Did you cheat, John, or you just... Well, I'm just saying, when you present an argument like that, it's probably going to be zero or one. Yes. Wait, so what? Shiseido, wow. The Shiseido team ran 212.28. That's a championship record, by the way, for the, for the meet. And then second place is 214.29, Japan Post. That was Sekiso Kagaku, Japan Post, 215.15. That is nuts, if you think about it. You can line up the best runners in Japan. I mean, they're on different teams. And race... Gide 
head to head. We're already giving her the record. We're getting a little ahead of ourselves here, but should be a great one in Valencia. Well, it's 31-46 per 10K. So you need to have six women on a team essentially running that pace, right? That Wait, that's how 31, fast 31-46, if you can run that fast for a 10K, that's world record marathon pace. If you can run that fast, you're one of the best runners in the United States. It, I mean, it doesn't totally surprise me that you wouldn't be able to find a team that can hold that pace. It just kind of puts in context, Bridget Cosguy's world record is fast, but you look at how many people have been coming close. I mean, Ruth Chepengedich ran 214.18 this year. Tickets to Sefer in Berlin runs 215. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I expect Gede to run fast unless she has some major malfunction, whether that's 212 or 215. I'm not totally sure, but I expect it to be on the faster end. Couple other things about Valencia. CJ Albertson, the American, is running there. Talked to him last night. He said he'd like to run 208. He doesn't really view that there as being as much of a difference between 209 and 210. He's run 210. He's like, you know, it's not a big deal for me breaking 210, but for him, he wants to run 208. Says his training has been a little bit up and down, but he did break the 50K world record two months ago. So. He's always pretty interesting to watch. And Ian Butler is a 209 American is also running the men's race. And then there are some pretty interesting debuts. We'll talk about this later in the week. But Alexander Motiso, who's a 5749, sorry, 5759 guy in the half, number four all time. He's debuting. Philmon Kiplimo, 5811 PB. He's debuting. Milkesa Mingesha, who's the reigning world junior cross-country champion. He's run 1258, 27 flat on the track. He's debuting. So I think there are going to be... Some, and you've got Tamarat Tola, the world champion in the marathon. You're going to see some fast times in the men's race as well. Just not quite sure who it's going to be. And then this one, get this. Do you guys remember the name Tiki Galana? Can you tell me who that is? Isn't it the Berlin Marathon winner? No, John, isn't she the 2012 Olympic champ? Weldon is correct. The 2012 Olympic champion from Ethiopia... She's now 35 years old. She has not run a race since 2016. She has entered in the 2022 Valencia Marathon. So who the hell knows what to expect or where she's been the last six years, what she's been doing. I should try to figure that out. But she has entered in the Berlin Marathon. So Sorry, in the Valencia Marathon. So I mean, she, she was good. That was pretty super shoes. I and mean, that's pretty John at Let'sRun.com. That was the first Olympics we went to. And that was like a whole nother life ago. And, and her career has never been the same since she was run over by that wheelchair in London, which proves my point. We should not have a wheelchair race at all of these majors. We should only have them like once a fall, once a spring. But I think we're getting ahead of ourselves, guys. John, do you have anything else in Valencia? No. I think we need think two shows. We need a Friday show and then a Sunday show. Bonus podcast. But I think we're getting ahead of ourselves. I'm putting these modern day runners as the goat. It's a new feature. We need a, we need some new music. Andrew Brick Johnson, the composer of Let's Run.com. Help us out, man. AndrewBrickJohnson.com. That's our intro music. I was checking out his website, John. He's got Glee on there. He's got like James Corden show. I think Let's Run should be on there, right? I mean, of all the stuff he's done, I think I'd like to be on the website. But um, 
I think this should be a new segment. The deleted email or deleted thread of the week. And this thread is titled Sub Four Miles in the 1700s. And I'll get to the actual post that was deleted because it's clever in its own way. But in this thread, they started discussing were people running sub four miles in the 1700s. And it links to a Guardian article from 2004. Essentially saying professional running was a big deal. All these people would do side bets. Here's this quote. In the late autumn of 1787, a runner by the name of Powell went one crucial stage further. He engaged himself to run a mile in four minutes and wagered the extraordinary sum of 1,000 guineas. Is that the proper term, John? Yeah. Do you guys know how much 1,000 guineas is worth? No. That is worth 780,000 pounds, at least in 2004 dollars. So this guy's betting like, well, the pounds come down a bit, like a million dollars back in the day that he could run a sub four. As part of his preparations, Powell ran a time trial at Mousley Hurst five days before Christmas. This is one of the oldest sporting venues in the country. Continues on. The trial was success. The newspapers that Powell ran within three seconds of the time, i.e. 4.03. A few more caveats here. One of the features of Powell's time trial run was that he ran to start naked, as did many serious runners of the time. So naked running was the big deal. Now, it turns out, somehow they don't know what happened with the actual race. But if this guy was willing to bet nearly a million dollars that he did it, John, do you think there's any chance people are running sub-4 minute miles back then? No, zero chance. Uh, sub-4 in the 1700s, I just... Maybe, look, maybe a mile was measured differently back then, but... We had people trying fairly serious to break this, and it took until 1954. I just don't see it. Like, Walter George, I don't know if you guys have heard of Walter George. He was the most dominant runner of the 1880s. He ran 412 back then, which is incredibly impressive. But a hundred years earlier, someone could break sub four in the mile, running naked, no less. I don't know if you guys, have you ever done a naked lap or naked mile or anything like that? I've run naked. There's no way you can run as fast naked without... There's no way you can run faster naked than you can clothes. So he's already at a disadvantage. Then is he wearing shoes? Shoes are going to help you run faster than running barefoot. I'm sorry. I don't lend any credence to this guy running sub four in the 1700s. I don't know what to say about this. I was just trying to stay off this one, but running naked. I mean, John, that may be because I think, don't you have large hands, very large hands? You definitely don't have Donald Trump hands. I'm afraid if I ran naked, it might not be that much of a difference. Depends on the temperature, Robert. That's very important. If it's cold out, it's probably a little easier. If it's very warm, then it gets tougher. But John, if you're getting, these are professionals. Then we went the whole era of amateur running. So the pros couldn't run back in the 1880s, maybe. And that no, Walter, me- Walter George was a pro. You had a pros division in amateur, and he was a pro. He ran 412. Okay. That b- brings me to the deleted post of the month. Actually, I'm not sure this post was deleted, but it was really, we should call it the reported post of the month. Learned a lot this week, moderating the forums. But this guy has an explanation of why how runners could have been faster back in 1700s than in the early 20th century. 
All right, here's his post. It's from Ko, Ko Ovet. It was a professional sport back then. People were tougher, had zero obesity, children were active, no air pollution. We kids did not get past their first year of life, let alone reproduce. Then here we go. Then we had the great filter of World War I that killed the healthiest men in Europe, leading the cowards and the disabled to reproduce. Wow. All of us that are alive now are just the sons of draft dodgers yep. or sickly old people. Well, the people who survived the war, there were people who went to fight in these global conflicts who came back. Not the brave, John. Not the brave. So, not the athletic. Yeah. This wasn't like nowadays where the, where, the, where the nerd with the missile GPS coordinates is the real war hero. Back then, it was... Just one of those posts, I'm like, wow, I never thought of it like that, laughed, and then said, well, no, it's, it's on to something, but it's off base. All right, let's talk Where's about she- a couple of these domestic meets here. We've got the BU5K. When is that, Saturday? Yeah. Friday? Normally, John would be there, folks, but he's be, he'll be in Spain. And then if, I guess if things go well in Spain, John, are you just going to head straight to Qatar for the next England match? Oh, geez, it's interesting. So England, yeah, England, assuming they win the group, they would be playing on the evening of the Valencia Marathon. An invitation to dinner with someone. It's like, oh, would you like to join us? We're eating at 8 p.m. on Sunday night. I'm like, I'm sorry, that's exactly when England's game kicks off. So if we win the group. So no, I'm not going to. I won't go to Qatar even if we make the final. I'll be there in 2026 when we win it all on U.S. soil. But just be watching these ones from home. But the BU 5K, and I'm just, I predicted the sub 15 and for the women. And I'm just, I got a little bit, I guess on on the good front is I'm like, you know, how fast are they going to run? And you've got some people that have broken 15 in the field, pros, Emily Enfield, 1454, Wayne Colati, 1457. Um, but I just hope Wait. that it's rabbited fast enough for them to do it. I'm a little bit hesitant about these 1440 predictions that I had before from John Kellogg because, again, Tui didn't beat the field by that much. So, like, what do we think these other people, what type of shape has Mercy Challen got in? I mean, her PB is 15, 17. How much did Tui but beat her by at, at NCAAs? The fact that she didn't beat the field by that much, that doesn't necessarily, like, she won the race by seven seconds, but she might be more than seven seconds faster than the runner up. It, it's just, she's going for the win. It's a championship race. This one, it's all about time trial. Those gaps could get larger. I think they're going to go for sub 15. And it's interesting, in previous years, BU, this would just be all the top college kids show up and try to get their NCAA indoor qualifier. Now you've got pros like Infeld and Kaladi, they're trying to knock out a world championship qualifier. World championship standards are harder in 2022, oh sorry, in 2023 than they have been in previous years. So yeah, I think the winning time will probably be sub-15. I think Caitlin Tui can do that because I do think she's a good chunk faster than most of these other collegians in the race she's already run 15 14 last spring and she's fitter than that so yeah i think it'll be a battle between her and the pros for the record i looked it up she beat chelinga by 30 seconds in ncaa's chelinga has a 15 17 pb so that means caitlin Tui runs 14 49 yeah but chelinga had an off day at NCAA. I, I don't expect her to run that fast i do expect her to break 15 
I'm predicting the sub-15. I'm sticking with it. It's going to be a great weekend. We're going to have a sub-15 on Saturday night, and then a few hours later, we're going to have a 212. Wait. Emily Enfield slated to run these cross champs on Thursday night as well. Hmm. That, that, look, if she's chasing a fast 5K at BU, it makes no sense to run in, in Austin on Thursday and then BU on Saturday. And you don't just show up to BU to like, Oh, it's fun to just do this race. If you're going there, you're going there with time in mind. You're trying to hit a standard. My guess is, but I guess you also get points for winning cross champs. Like in terms of world athletics qualifying for the world championships, you get a lot of world athletics points if you win cross champs. So I guess she maybe has to make a choice which one, which event she's going to target, which one is more beneficial. My guess is if she's entered at BU, she'll run BU though. We talk about these cross champs. They're in Austin, Texas. Tell people what this is. Who's in the race? Shout out to Jesse Williams. We're having a pro cross country race in a major city when a lot of shoe execs are going to be down in Austin anyways for the shoe, a big shoe event. So John, who's in this thing? Yeah. Well, then you take this because you're going to be the, it's called the fitness bank cross champs. So we got a sponsor. Congrats to them. Um, on the team side, you know, it's on Athletics Club, Hanson's Brooks, Puma Elite, Tinman Elite, American Distance Program, Hoka NAZ Elite, Olin Hackers Pro Debut, I think, uh, Taylor Made Elite. So a lot of good people, and there's obviously good individuals in those groups. So Joe Klecker, Ollie Hoare. I mean, you've got Morgan McDonald, Yard Negusher Boy, Robert Ahn's got pretty much its full team there. Let's see as we go down. Drew Hunter is running. Patrick Tiernan for Puma Elite. Wesley Kiptu, Hoka NAZ Elite. Hillary Bohr, Sam Chalinga. I mean, it's very good fields. And then in terms of oh, some individuals, Kirbel Arasa, he's probably the headliner there. With the women, you know, I. I guess for me, the headliner is going to be Alicia Monson. She said it's tremendous year, right? What? Wait, is she the record holder or something? I feel like she did something amazing this year, John. I've already forgotten. She almost won a Diamond League was her greatest accomplishment, I would say. She was second at USA's in the 10K, but remember the 3K, I think it was Lausanne, was coming down to the wire, and she just got out kicked for the win there. Yeah, 826 she ran in Lausanne. So that was that, a big thing this year. I mean, that's getting down there. Um, Fiona O'Keefe been doing great sort of half marathon stuff for Puma Elite. Courtney Wayman, Whitney Orton, I mean, this Taylor Made team. It's good to see them competing as a team, John. Yeah, I, it's one of the aspects that's appealing. Does Taylor Made have? four athletes to run cross champs like is Whitney Orton running the the 2021 NCAA cross champion yeah Whitney Orton Court, Courtney Wayman Anna Camp Bennett Erica Jarvis Tawny Bybee and Olivia Hodge they have I can't even do the math there one two three four five six people I think for cross champs you need four on a team and individually Emily Enfield as we said Edna Kurgat are the headliners I guess now there's a debate if infield will run this, maybe she's rabbiting in Boston, John, who knows, but it's nice to have this well then, because 
in the European in European athletes, they have Eurocross, and it's something for athletes to put on their calendar. And you know, they've been training for the full. All these pros are training right now, like Grant Fisher, all these guys out BTC and that sort of stuff. They're logging miles. They might not be racing for a while, but I think it's fun to have a cross race on the on the calendar. Everyone knows, okay, it's not the most important thing in the world, though. You can get some World Athletics qualifying points, but it's something to get them out there racing again. Jakob Ingebrigtsen's running Eurocross next weekend. And that's great. Like all the Europeans, Charles Hicks is going to go over there and run the U23 champ. So I think it's nice for the North American athletes to have something comparable on their calendars that they can kind of point their full training towards. And maybe this becomes a permanent thing. We had it last year at Mount Sac. Not that many people showed up. We're getting a better field this year in Austin. Maybe next year, wherever it is, it'll be even better. I'm glad they're building this up, John, but we've always had something in, the, in this time of year to run. Just no one's run it except for the Hanson's Brooks team. It's called USA Club Cross. Club Cross. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know if it's just it's just the fact that they're reaching out, or or, or, or did the pros afraid to get beat by your sort of amateur post collegiate guy? I I don't know. But did I did I hear you right? Charles Hicks is going to run the under twenty three race. Didn't he win that last year? Shouldn't he step up and race the big boys? Uh, I mean, I don't know. I don't really carry the way. It would be. I guess it's yes. He did win it last year, so it'd probably be more interesting to see him. But he's gonna. I mean, he's not going to beat Jakob. Yeah, I think it would be more compelling if he ran the senior race, but I'm not going to criticize him for running the U23. Wait, I think Jakob should run the under 23. <laughs> That's what we need to do. I mean, he needs to show that it's clearly that it's, the Europeans think you need to be over 23 to be good at athletics. So I think Jakob needs to back off a bit, not get ahead of himself and run the under 23 championships. Do the double, do the double. That actually would be seeing him do that would be oh my god, that'd be so dominant. He runs the U twenty three race and then he comes back like an hour later and wins the the open race. That would be sick. I'd love to see that. Senegal is advanced in the World Cup. Senegal. I was wondering why you guys are distracted. The TV is behind me in my office. I don't look at it during the day. I, I have to focus. Although yesterday, all I did was try to. Or logo emblazoned bags from a faraway country. By the way, folks, if you're a pro and you're not happy with your coaching, coaching doesn't matter unless you're coached by me. I just want to give a shout out to John Kellogg. We're sort of coaching some people, but not really. Nothing really motivates us. But he's always said high school is his favorite. And we've got a let's run Die hard, a guy who's read the 200-page book of John Kellogg's coaching that was secretly compiled on the message board forums 15 years ago. And he was calling me and talking to John, and then he got a high school job, and John started coaching the team with him. They're coaching the team together, kind of like we did at Cornell. I mean, John obviously isn't there. He's just giving the guy the workouts. And this is a major state. I don't want to reveal who this team we're coaching here. They were 12th in the section last year. Last year. I think the top seven teams make the state. They're not even close to the state meet. They just had the state meet, and they knocked it out of the park. Finished sixth in the state. Well, I'll say it. Sixth in California state. Somebody can probably oh, wow. figure out who they are now. So, 
John's going to retire though, because most of the guys are going to graduate this year. So we don't want to have a down year next year. So we got to find a new team. So if you want us to coach you, email me, Robert at let's run.com. I think we should let Weldon go. He needs to go to the airport. We should just shut this down. Let's do two bonus podcasts this weekend. One on Friday, one on Sunday. Sign up now. Your last chance to save 50%, go to I mean, let's run.com slash subscribe into the code GOAT50. If you want your new long sleeve shirt, go to shop.letsrun.com. What I say the, the, the code was going to be? I haven't set this up yet. Podcast. Podcast. Yeah, it's a huge weekend, so you need to be a Supporters Club member this weekend because as we get closer to, I mean, NXN even, the U.S. Marathon Championships, we can preview those a bit. John will be boots on the ground in Valencia. So I hope John's, you know, whining, dining with the Valencia people instead of watching your England soccer, but I understand John. I just enjoyed just a trip to Europe for John, I guess. England plays today. We're recording this Tuesday. We're playing in two hours, and then we wouldn't play again until Saturday or Sunday. So, John, did you check the potential games before you booked your flights? Well, of course I did. See, I was an amateur, and I didn't realize that U.S. was playing Iran today. But I'm able to watch the game at the airport, or maybe I'm going to find a bar in Queens or something. But... Yeah, well, good good luck to the USA against Iran this afternoon. And it's, wait, if, here's here's is the it one thing: Iran or people? I heard yesterday it, John? because of the nice guy at the press conference that we're saying it wrong. Is oh. it Iran or Iran? Which it's, one? I can't remember which is the proper way. But he did it's you see Iran. this thing, John? Iran, 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 Iran. Okay, not Iran. 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 All right. Well, good luck to the USA. And Iran. I'll just say this: Well, then, Iran. The U.S. and England, they played once in this World Cup. It is possible for them to play again in the final. So it's still mathematically possible. It's also possible by the time people listen to this, the U.S. is eliminated from the World Cup. But what? yeah, maybe, who knows? We might see a U.S.-England final on December John, 18th. John, I know a guy over there. He's got a pass. He can go to any game he claims he wants to. Do you think if they made the final, if I hit him up, he'd, or by then it'd probably be shut down, right? Well, if he has a pass, he can go to any game. I assume he would want to use it to go to the final. I know, but do you think I could like he could get me a ticket at that point? It, Wait, you know, if you really want to go to Qatar and watch the game, worth he'd be worth talking to. Isn't it also possible by the time they're listening to this that England is eliminated from the World Cup? If we lose by four goals to Wales, yes, but I find that highly unlikely. So I'm pretty confident we will be in the round of sixteen. If you lose by three, you you automatically make it. I think so, yeah. It might have to be four zero too, I think. Cause we beat Iran six two. So that gives us a hefty edge in the goal difference. Okay, that's gonna do it for this episode. Thank you for forgiving us for the soccer talk, but maybe you like that. So there's probably gonna be a little bit more of it as long as the US and England are alive in the World Cup. But yeah, huge weekend on tap. Double Supporters Club podcast this week, Friday 15 and a Sunday 15 from Valencia. It's going to be fantastic. Make sure you're tuning in. Make sure you're signing up. Let's run.com slash subscribe to join the Supporters Club and gain access to those podcasts if you haven't joined already. Can't wait to break it all down. Until then, guys, so long. If you just want to get surprised every month or every quarter, 
treat yourself to the runnerbox.com. 50 bucks handpicked items for as little as 29 bucks. $10 off with a special Let's Run link. Link in the show notes. Perfect for the holiday season. Perfect value, perfect gift. Check it out now. Link in the show notes.